God, we're thankful that your love is big enough, not only for us, not only for all of our past, all of our sin, all of our mistakes and our failures, but your love is big enough for every person in this town. Your love is big enough for our family that doesn't know you. Your love is big enough for our coworkers that are desperately in need of you, God. Lord, help us, help us to not only receive your love, but also to extend your love to others in the same way that it was extended to us because your heart is for every person that no person would perish, but every person would have the opportunity to experience life, life in you. Thank you for that love. We worship you. We lift you up and thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. You can be seated this morning. Thank you to our worship team for leading us. We guys express your appreciation to them. If you want to grab your Bibles and turn to Mark chapter 12, also if you have the Bible app on your phone or your tablet, you can look in the live events and you'll find uh, our information there along with the scriptures and some of the notes for today's sermon for you to follow along on your phone or your tablet. If something stands out to you today and you're on social media and you want to share that, you can use the hashtag today at New Life. We'd love for you to do that. Always check in on here. Let people know where you're attending church and share this with other people. Mark chapter 12. It's going to be a minute before we get there. I want to talk to you today uh, about this new series that we're beginning. I'm really excited about it. It's called I Love My City. Everybody say it. I love my city. And I know that we have a wide range of people here today. Many of you, like my family, Laramie has not always been home, but you live here now. And that seems to be like a lot of people in Laramie. Um, that's, that's the case for them. Others of you, you may have come from somewhere else, but you have been here long enough that truly Laramie is home, or at least Wyoming, uh, some part of Wyoming is home. And others of you, you've lived here your entire life. And so what we all have in common, no matter where you are, uh, whether you just recently got here, you've been here a long time, you've been here forever, we all have in common this, this city, this place of Laramie, um, and we're here for this time and for this, for this season. Um, it's interesting that this week, uh, two articles about Laramie and about Wyoming began circulating uh, kind of in the newspaper and on Facebook and all that kind of stuff. And maybe you've seen one or, or both of those articles. The first article stated that Laramie, Wyoming is in the top 19 places to visit in the United States. Yep. In fact, they ranked Laramie as the fourth must visit place in the country for 2019. That's pretty exciting, right? Yep. I mean, I thought that was pretty exciting. Now the long time Wyoming people they're not very happy about this. <laughs> For me, I get excited. Laramie's a place people want to come to. Hashtag Laradice, right? All this stuff. Come on, everybody, come visit. My brother and sister-in-law and my niece are here and they're visiting. Little do they know that they're coming to the fourth must-visit place in the country. This week, we've had a lot of people that have come to visit us over the holidays. I get excited about that, but the people that have lived here for a long time, they don't always, they don't always get excited. Um, they just assume that nobody ever finds or comes to visit Laramie or anywhere in Wyoming, right? That's kind of the sentiment of Wyoming people, which may explain the other article that came out this week. Article number two stated that Wyoming is the second most boring state in the United States. <laughs> and so when you look at the comments, these are actual comments you'll see from what I'm guessing are lifelong uh, residents that are not angry that their state was ranked the second most boring state in the country, but you see them eagerly agree and encourage people to just solidify in their mind that Wyoming is the second most boring, in fact, possibly the most boring state that they would ever find. And they say things like this, yes, it is so boring. 
There's nothing to do here. There's no reason for anyone to visit. You're hours from the nearest Walmart. People who live here are all trapped and no one likes it here. The scenery isn't that great and the wind will freeze the skin off your face. Colorado is much more exciting. That's where you should go visit. On top of it, Wyoming is full, so don't ever think of moving here. So Wyoming is a little unique. These seemingly contradictory articles are funny, but I think that uh, either some hardcore Wyoming residents wrote the second article to discourage any preventable visitors, or Laramie is just the best city in the second most boring state in the country. I don't know, one of those two things may be true. Maybe you love Laramie, or maybe you wish you rather lived on the sun instead. I don't know. Maybe uh, you're only here for a couple years and you're ready to leave. Maybe you're, you're thinking, why are we even talking about this at church? Well, I'm glad that you asked. I happen to love my city, but more than that, I believe that God loves my city. How many of y'all believe that? Yes. We say it a lot around here at New Life that we exist so that people far from God can experience new life in Christ. But why? Why do we exist for that reason? Well, I believe it's because God loves our city. We believe that it's God's desire for Laramie to know Jesus. That's why we just prayed that his love would be extended not just to the people that are here that already know, but the people that don't know yet. We want to be a part as a church of making that happen in Laramie. We want for, for people to know that God loves this city, for people to know that we love this city. A couple weeks ago on Celebration Sunday, I preached to you about the 2020 vision or God's perfect plan for our church, and I believe that this is a big part of that. Pastor Jamie Montero was here last weekend. We had some powerful services, and he spoke into that as well. But we live in a culture that frequently asks, why does Laramie need another church? Our culture does not have the church or God at the center of, of their values, and they don't value it the way that we do for sure. We can, we can get mad when we hear that question, or we can have an answer for that question. And I can't answer for every church in Laramie, but it's my desire that when that question gets asked about our church, and it has been asked, that we would be ready with an answer. That when someone says, why, why New Life Assembly of God? Why do we need another church in Laramie? Aren't there enough churches that are here? Why do we need just one more church? Um, that our answer would be because we love the city. And because we believe that God loves the city and we are for the city and we want to be a part of contributing to what makes this a great community. I believe that's what God has called us to do. And so a lot of well-meaning Christian people, they don't understand loving their city. Some people, and maybe some of you even here today, you're conflicted by this thought of saying, I love my city. Why should we love our city? Is that really what God wants for us? Why, why is that important at all? And I think people get conflicted, not because... They're bad people, but because we misunderstand some of the areas that Scripture speaks to this. And so today I want to lay the groundwork because we're going to be talking about this idea and looking at, at God's plan for cities over the next several weeks and how God would have us to interact with our city. Uh, but we have to believe it first. We have to believe that God loves our city and that He wants us to love our city. And so I think that some of the Scriptures that, that people get confused about and conflicted about are some of the ones like the ones that say, come ye out and be ye separate, right? That's, that's strong words. Um, the Bible says that God is holy and so we should be holy. It says that we can't be conformed to the pattern of this world and that we're not to be of this world. In 1 John chapter 2, verse 15, it says this, don't love the world or anything in the world. 
If anyone loves the world, then the love of the Father is not in him. These are, these are really strong words. And, and John is saying in, in, in 1 John, don't love the world. And he uses this Greek word there, cosmos, over and over again. Don't love the world. Don't love the cosmos or the things of the cosmos. Um, it, it seems pretty clear. These, these verses are an important part of Scripture. But unfortunately for a lot of people, these verses don't mean what they think they mean. Because if we're not to love the world, then we can't love our city, right? We have to hate our city. Or we should just always be looking for a reason to protest or be against our city, right? I know I'm making some of you uneasy. It feels like a setup. How do we reconcile what 1 John is saying about hating the world and then also what Jesus says in John 3.16, For God so loved the world... You know what word it uses there for world? It's cosmos. It's the exact same word that 1 John's talking about. Is God being hypocritical? Don't love the world or the things of the world, but all the while God loves the world? I don't think that that's what's happening here. God loves the world. He doesn't want anyone to perish. That also is a very strong message. And it's at the heart of the gospel. So either God is really confused and contradictory, or maybe we have to look at what it means to not love the world. We have this idea that God is against all that's happening in our city and we need to be on God's side against our city. And we decide that I can't be a part of or take a stand with people that go against God's plan. But let me ask you a question. What happens if all the Christ followers in a city decide that they're going to withdraw, they're going to boycott, and they're going to separate from, from the city and they're not going to be a part of the city leadership or the government or the school district or any of the places of influence? What does that accomplish? Is that really God's plan? So we get this idea that I'm going to be separate. I'm going to pull out. I'm going to let it fail. And and that will show them. And we have this idea that somehow if we're not involved, it'll just fall apart instantly. It's probably not likely. We're not near as important as we think we are. But we think about cities like Sodom and Gomorrah. And we're like, well, God's just going to destroy them from the face of the planet. Let me talk about Sodom and Gomorrah for just a minute. I promise we will get to Mark 12. This is important. Do you realize that if there had been 10 righteous people in Sodom and Gomorrah that God wouldn't have destroyed it? That's that's powerful. Ultimately, we discover that there was really only one righteous person that was there. And the Bible does say that Lot was righteous and that he grieved over his city. And what is sad about that story is that every other righteous person in that city had either left or had joined the culture. More people like Lot in that city, if there had been more people like him, the city would have been saved. God loves cities. We see Jesus weep over his city of Jerusalem. God reasons with Abraham over Sodom and Gomorrah. He sends a messenger to save Nineveh. We're going to get into those stories in the weeks that come, but what we see is that First John is not telling us to hate our cities and to hate our world around us. In fact, the entire book of First John is about love. Beloved, let us love one another. If anyone loves, can't love his brother that he can see, how will we love God that he can't see? The whole book's about love, so it's, it's erroneous to think in any way that God is desiring for us to not love the people that are around us through, this, through these scriptures. But he says this in 1 John, For everything in the world, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, the pride of life, comes not from the Father, but from the world. So what we hate in our world is not the world it's not our city. It's not the peoples that are, that are around us or even people that do things that we don't agree with. What we hate is the world system. 
He's not telling us to hate people or hate our neighbors. It's okay to love your city. It's okay that you realize that cities are made up of people, people that God loves and that he died for. And so God loves people and God loves his city and we should too. So let me show you that in Mark chapter 12, verse 30 and 31. This is going to be our basis for this entire series because Jesus was asked, what's the most important of the commandments? And he gives this response in Mark 12, 30 and 31. He says, love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul, with all your mind and with all your strength. And the second command is this, love your neighbor as yourself. There's no commandment greater than these. Just a few pages back, if you want to turn back to Matthew chapter 5, Jesus is giving his famous Sermon on the Mount and he says these words, You are the salt of the earth, but if the salt loses its saltiness, how can it be made salty again? It's no longer good for anything except to be thrown out and trampled underfoot. You are the light of the world. A town built on a hill cannot be hidden. Neither do people light a lamp and put it under a bowl. Instead, they put it on its stand and it gives light to everyone in the house. In the same way, let your light shine before others that they may see your good deeds and glorify your Father in heaven. It's not just okay for us to love our city. It's God's greatest command. We are the salt and the light. We're the preservative. We're the illuminating force. Do you realize that salt is needed in so many scenarios, that light is needed? And sure, with the absence of light, your eyes will adjust and you'll think that you're fine. You won't realize. In fact, when you turn that light back on after long periods of darkness, it's almost overwhelming. But that's who God is calling us to be, something that our city needs and depends on. Not that our cities would adjust to the absence of there's more than 10 people that love God in our city. God's plan and desire is for the city to be saved, for our city to experience the love of God. But sometimes, I've got a video I'm going to show you because this is great. Sometimes it seems like God's telling us to love our neighbor. And instead of responding maybe how God would have us to respond, we respond like this video clip. Check this out. Same block, so I mean, you could go too. So. 
No, it's all, we're all in the same town, too, but you're right next to him. If he's ever going to borrow anything, you come over to your place. Well, he's, he's busy, you know. Nice. Now, look, he's going into the go now because if, I mean, he's going back in. If you were, if you were going to say hi, you should probably, there he's going into the hut, too. You know, he's, he's going to go in. Well, man, now you've blown it, haven't you? No, I didn't blow it. He, he went into his house. Chicken. I'm not chicken because he went into his if we're not careful, we surround ourselves with people that we like, that we know, that we go to church with, that think the way that we think and believe the way that we believe. And then all of a sudden, Jesus says, love your neighbor. And we see our neighbor and we're like, what is it? It's a neighbor. You're like, that's awkward. But don't you think they feel that awkward too? And they're like, don't even bother. I'm, I'm good. Just like I am. Leave me alone. Uh, what does it look like for us to love our city? God demonstrated his love for us by coming and living among us. He didn't come to be served, but to serve. The Bible tells us that he stripped down to a towel and washed his disciples' feet. So if we follow God's example, we have to love and serve people. In fact, Jesus said, If I then, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, you ought to wash one another's feet. For I've given you an example that you should do as I have done. So why don't we wash more people's feet? I mean, sometimes we do it like as a symbolic gesture or whatever, but um, it's, it's not what the scripture is saying is not literally about washing people's feet. Jesus washed people's feet because it was what was most needed at his time. It was a real need. Jesus did what needed to be done. It was a low position. It was an act of him showing humility and demonstrating uh, love and serving others. But washing people's feet probably isn't the biggest need. Now, if you go into a middle school locker room, maybe there's a big need there. But there's probably some bigger needs that our city has than washing feet. Maybe it's shoveling snow. Maybe it's serving lunch at the soup kitchen. Maybe it's a backpack with school supplies. Maybe it's a kind gesture for a neighbor. Here's the thing. If we believe that we exist so that people far from God in Laramie can experience new life in Christ, then we have to live that. Yeah. Mm -hmm. What does that mean? It means our whole church... Everyone say whole church. whole church. I didn't say Pastor Matt. Our whole church has to live the good news to the whole city. We all have to do our part. We all have to take it. The whole church, not just that we invite people to come to our church. That may be a part of it, and that's good. We have to take it out. We have to, to understand the time that we're in and that the time is short. It's not the end time yet. It's not time for us to depart and withdraw. It's time for us to take Jesus to the people that need Jesus. It's not time to run and hide, but it's time to shine. A light in a dark place. Mm -hmm. So we've talked a lot about that today. And we're laying the groundwork for loving our city. And, um, and so maybe you're asking, you know, you're thinking, what are you asking me to do? And some of you are like, what, what is this going to involve? Because I really don't like to talk to people. And I don't have any friends. And I know you keep asking, but I'm not interested in signing up to work with Dakota and Children's Ministry. So if that's what this is about, where we're going, then let's just move on. Well, it's not about that. But this series is going to get really, really practical. Melanie talked about uh, February 3rd, we're going to have Wyo Spirit Sunday. And some of you have been here, we've done this in the past. And it's a way for us to welcome our college students back to Laramie and to our church. And it's going to be an exciting day because she said, dress up in your brown and gold. We're going to have some fun. We're going to give away a prize to the person that has kind of the most... Wyoming University of Wyoming spirit, right? Wearing the brown and gold colors, but also Austin Conway, who's a wide receiver for the University of Wyoming. He's a strong believer. He's going to come and share his testimony that day. It's going to be a powerful way for us to just engage in our community and what's going on. We can be a church that just simply exists in a town where there's a university, or we could be a church that says, you know what? 
God's placed us here for this time. And in this time in history, there's a university that's in our, in our city. And people come from all over our city. And people come from all over our state and all over our country and all over the world. And we have an opportunity to connect with these people. Or we can say, oh, well, you know, I don't really agree with everything the university does. So I don't want anything to do with that. You know, we got to choose which kind of church that we're going to be. So we're going to be really practical. We're going to give you some, some opportunities to put into practice some of the things that we're talking about. Together, we're going to learn how to neighbor because some people just don't know how to neighbor very well. We're going to give you some tools to love people. We're going to go and engage our city. And, um, and so it's going to be good. So it's, it's, um, today is going to be really simple and lay the foundation for what we're doing and why we want to do it. And, uh, and then we're going we're gonna to talk about the main point today and then we're going to pray for our city and just pray that God would give us a heart and a passion for our city and for the things that are going on. So the main thing that I want to communicate with you today that I want you to take away from this message is just one point. And that's that we have to begin to live for the things that Jesus died for. We have to begin to live for the things that Jesus died for. God so loved the world that he gave his son so that no one would perish. God loves people. He loves cities. He loved them with his life. And we get so wrapped up in our routine and in religion and in programs and everything. But God's idea is different than ours. God, God's desiring something more. God didn't come to give us a Sunday morning service. He didn't come to give us a religion. The Bible says that he came so that we could have life and have it to the fullest. I want to read from Isaiah chapter 58 in the message version. And uh, this is what God told the prophet to tell to his people. And I think it applies to us today as we're talking about how we can be a church that loves our city and really is about the things that God wants us to be about and that we would live for the things that God thought were worth dying for. He says this, tell my people what's wrong with their lives. Uh-oh, this is going to be good, right? says, they're busy, busy, busy at worship, and they love studying all about me. To all appearances, they're a nation of right-living people, law-abiding, God-honoring. They ask me, what's the right thing to do? And they love having me on their side. You're like, well, this isn't too bad. That sounds like me. That's great. And here it goes. But they also complain. Why do we fast and you don't look our way? Why do we humble ourselves and you don't even notice? Well, here's why. It's about to get good. The bottom line is on your fast days, you do it for profit of self. You fast, but at the same time, you bicker and fight. You fast, but you swing a mean fist. The kind of fasting you do won't get your prayers off the ground. Do you think this is the kind of fast day that I'm after? Is this the kind of fast day that I want? What I want to see is, is the kind of fasting that breaks the chains of injustice, to get rid of the exploitation in the workplace, to free the oppressed, to cancel debts. What I'm interested in seeing you do is sharing your food with the hungry, inviting the homeless poor into your homes, putting clothes on the shivering, being available to your own families. Do this and then the lights will turn on and your lives will turn around at once. Your righteousness will pave your way. Then when you pray, I will answer. You'll call for help and I'll say, here I am. If you get rid of unfair practices, quit blaming victims, quit gossiping about other people's sins. If you're generous with the hungry and start giving yourselves to the down and out, your lives will begin to glow in the darkness. Your shadowed lives will be bathed in sunlight. I'll always show you where to go. I love this next part. I'll give you a full life in the emptiest of places. Wow. 
You'll be known as those who can fix anything and restore old ruins. You'll rebuild and renovate. You'll make the community livable again. What a powerful thought that God's wanting more from us than just lip service and just to go about the motions of religion. He's wanting us to really live for the things that he died for. The book of James chapter 2, he said the same thing a lot shorter. He said, faith by itself, if it's not accompanied by action, is dead. Unless we live it out, it's meaningless. You can sing songs about the love of God all day long, but if you can't live the love of God, then it doesn't really mean anything because it hasn't impacted your life. God's plan is that we aren't just saved and then wait to die. What a boring existence, but some people live that way. Okay, well, I prayed a prayer, I'm saved. Now if I can just stay away from all the bad things in the world, and then I'll die and go to heaven. I'm thankful there's more than that. We have something to live for. He says he'll give us life in the emptiest of places. That's not only a promise for us, but that's for something that we can take to somebody that needs to hear it. Hey, you know what? It feels like you're in an empty, in a dry place. It feels like you have nothing and nobody. It feels like it's hopeless, but God wants to give you life in the emptiest of places. One version says that that we'll become the restorer of the streets. That's exciting. There's hope. There's meaning and purpose for our lives. So the question is, are we really going to live for the things that God died for? Is our faith genuine? Are we serving and loving people around us? Are we standing for the things that really matter in our society? Notice that what God talked about, he didn't talk about protesting. He didn't talk about being against the city. He talked about standing for those who are most in need. That's the kind of church that we have to be, a church that really loves our city, that really lives for the things that Christ died for. When people see that we have something to live for and not just something that we rally against, they're going to want that because people are looking for purpose. I love the book that Bob Goff wrote, Love Does, and I shared it on my Facebook this last week. It's a book that I've read previously, and I read it uh, repeatedly. I, I love uh, the message of, in, inside that book. It really goes well, uh, along well with the sermon, but he There's a quote in there I wanted to share with you today from Bob Goff. He says, what Jesus said we could do is leave the typical behind. We could leave all of the comparisons and trappings and all of the pretending of religion. Jesus said it's not enough to just look like you love God. He said that we will know the extent of our love for God by how well we love people. It doesn't matter what we sing about what we believe. It doesn't matter what we say we believe. It matters what we do, how we treat other people around us, how well we love people. One of the greatest examples of a church that loved people well was Charles Spurgeon's church. And I love it when the people who have a lot to say about the Bible really live it, right? So we've heard sermons and and read theological works of Charles Spurgeon, but his church really lived it in the 1850s in London. The the Metropolitan Tabernacle was a church, and they were a church that was for the city that God had placed them in. And Spurgeon's preaching, it wasn't the main thing that made the church so amazing and powerful. It was the church's love for the city and the way they impacted it. During this time uh, in, in London, the population of the poor and the orphan and the widows had skyrocketed because of a number of situations and circumstances that were going on in the environment of that day. A lot of the churches did what most churches do when the neighborhoods become under-resourced. They, they ran away. They moved to different neighborhoods. They moved out of the problem areas. They ran to the suburbs. But the Metropolitan Tabernacle, they decided to ask what kind of church that they were going to be. Would they just be a church that was in their city 
that was taking care of themselves? Would they be a church that was against their city and they were just going to speak out against all the things they didn't like and look down on people that were different or poor people that were in this situation? Were they going to be a church that was of their city and so they're made up of people of their city but they really weren't being changed or any different? They just looked like the rest of the city. But instead of all those things, they decided that they were going to be a church that was for their city. They stayed there in the middle of the chaos and they made a difference and they were for their city in the name of Jesus. And besides having a church that was filled to capacity every Sunday with people getting saved left and right, and they did grow, they grew to over 5,000 people. They also did some amazing things beyond their Sunday morning worship experiences. They built over a dozen low-income housing residences where people could come and get on their feet until they could find a job. The, their church, people just like you did this. They built 17 fully funded homes for the elderly. And back then there was no social security. So if you didn't have a family to take care of you, there wasn't anything else. They built these homes where people could, could be taken care of and where they could live with dignity and die with dignity. And the church, people just like you, they raised their hand and said they would do whatever it took. And they built an orphanage where they housed and clothed and educated 400 orphans. They made a difference in the needs in their community. I could go on and on. They did so many other things. But what they did was they decided that they were going to be for their city. And they began to have an influence among the poor. But not only that, because of their influence in the city, they began to have influence even among the rich and the, the ruling party in, in, the, in the British society at that time. And slowly and surely, 5,000 people began to change the culture of London. Not only were they impacting the city spiritually, but they also began to see their influence impact the city economically and socially and emotionally. They changed the city of London to the point that it was said of Metropolitan Tabernacle that had they closed the doors during that time and decided to move out of the city, that the, city, the entire city of London would have grieved. I said it a couple weeks ago, but I want to say it again. What if New Life was the kind of church that loved our city in such a way that people said, you know what, I don't agree with everything that they believe, but I shudder to think what this city would be like without them. Jesse, if you go ahead and come. Maybe in the beginning, they're not going to believe like we believe, but I think that if we love like God loves and they can see a real demonstration of what it means to be a Christ follower, not somebody pointing a finger and saying, you should do this, or why don't you do this, or I'm against this, or I boycott this, or, but someone that really loves like God loves, who demonstrated his love for us while we were still sinners. Mm -hmm. Before we cleaned up our act, God said, I love you enough to die for you. Are we willing to live for the things that he died for? In October of last year, an 85-year-old, famous, lifelong Australian atheist named Bill Hayden, he renounced his atheism and put his faith in Jesus Christ and was baptized. Can you imagine that? Living 85 years as an atheist. In fact, he was a part of the government in Australia and there were some honors that they wanted to bestow upon him, but part of those honors said that he had to fulfill his duty unto God and he refused to even receive some of those honors because he said he wasn't doing anything under, unto a God he didn't believe in earlier in his life. That was the way that he lived. He was, he was adamantly atheist. This is not just someone who just said it. He, he lived this for 85 years. But why, after 85 years of atheism, would he put his faith in Christ and be baptized? Well, he said why. He attributed 
that in part to the selfless acts of compassion and love that he witnessed from Christians over his lifetime is one of the factors in his change of heart. I wonder how many Bill Haydens are there in Laramie, Wyoming? How many people are there that they've set their heart against something, they're unwilling to receive it, but God's just waiting to break down the wall because there's no wall he won't break through to get his love to them. There's no mountain he won't climb over. How many people do you know? And maybe you've invited them and maybe you've planted seeds and maybe you've tried to, to demonstrate the love of Christ and you think it's no good. They're not paying attention. Well, this guy was paying attention for 85 years and it made a difference. He said, I don't know how, how much longer I have left, but I'm going to dedicate everything that I have left in my life to God and his purposes. What a powerful, what a powerful statement. I'm going to have Jesse lead us in this song. And I want you just to think about the words of this song and think about God's heart for this city, what he desires to do. This city's made up of a lot of people, some of them that you know and you know well. Some of them that are related to you, some of them that you work with, some of them that you have past history with. We're going to pray for those people in just a minute. We're not going to complain to God about how bad everyone else's sin is. We're going to pray, God, use me in my city to live for the things that were worth you dying for. We're going to pray, God, help me to love this city. Help me to love the people that are around me. Help me to take a position of humility and to wash some feet and to do some things, even if they're undesirable, to demonstrate that I'm willing to live for the things you died for. Will you pay attention to the words of the song for just a, for just a minute? If you want to worship, you're welcome to enter into worship. You're the God of the city. You're the king of these people. You're the Lord of this nation. You are. You're the light in this darkness. You're the hope to the hopeless. You're the peace to the restless. in this city because greater things are ahead.
2018, we baptized 14 people here at New Life Church. It's pretty amazing. I had several people that said to me that they can't remember the last time that we baptized 14 people in a year. I'm sure we probably have in the past. But I believe that 14, while it's a great number to celebrate, it's not the end. It's just the beginning of what God wants to do. I believe in the future that we're going to baptize entire families. And today we're going to baptize somebody. I get the privilege this morning of baptizing my niece. And she's here. That's, that's pretty special. Last year, I got to baptize my daughter. And that was, that was pretty awesome, pretty special. But here's what I want you to know. If we get this message of loving our city, then we're going to see a lot of sons and daughters and nieces and nephews and neighbors and co-workers that are going to be baptized and lives are going to be changed. Our, our celebration Sunday is going to be on March the 10th. We don't have anyone signed up to be baptized right now on March the 10th. I wonder this week who you're going to demonstrate the love of God to in such a way that maybe right now they don't even have any idea of being baptized on March the 10th, but God's going to do a work in their heart, in their life. Maybe you invite them to Wyo Spirit Sunday. Maybe they experience the love of God in a new and a real way. And they're baptized on March 10th. How awesome would that be? I believe that God wants to use you in that way, that we will see family members and co-workers that are going to be baptized.